everyone. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host Chris Kay. Welcome to Debating Metal, the show where we discuss and debate our favorite forms of music, hard rock, and heavy metal. And this week, similar to last week, we're pitting two bands against each other that have the same vocalist. The first band is from California with its roots dating all the way back to 1979. Childhood friends formed a band that, for the most part, has been together all these years. The second band hails from New York City and is one of the bands known as the Big Four of Thrash. In 1993, they fired their now-current singer in favor of John Bush. So by now, you may have guessed we're talking about Armored Saint versus Anthrax, Symbol of Salvation versus The Sound of White Noise. And stick around to the end, and we're going to offer our Big Four Armored Saint songs. So Chris, Armored Saint, Symbol of Salvation versus Anthrax, Sound of White Noise. They both have the same singer, the one, the only John Bush. Yeah, I mean, these two albums came out within three years, a uh, very short amount of time, uh, kind of at the end of, of Armored Saints, I, I guess, it, wits is probably the best way to say it. Um, you know, they, they were kind of saddled with a, a record company that didn't know how to promote them, um, which is just really unfortunate because they're a great band. Um, so Anthrax had kind of reached a point where, I guess they felt that they had gone as far as they could go with Joey and things were changing in the early nineties. So they wanted to go in a little bit different direction. So they brought on John Bush who had a, a, a you know, a more aggressive sound, I would say, rather than kind of the, the melodic vocals of, of Joey. So, um, you know, two, two albums that are a little different, but also have some similarities and, and, you know, having that link of the same singer within such a short amount of time, it, you know, there's, there's an evolution factor there. Yeah, I mean, John Bush is one of my favorite vocalists in metal, period. Uh, obviously, you know, we have guys like, uh, Bruce Dickinson and Rob Halford. But when you think about, you know, just the bands that, you know, came out, I guess, later on, you know, because I can say bands that came out in the 80s, Iron Maiden came out in 1980. So, but there's a little bit of a, like almost like an elder statesman type of feel with Iron Maiden compared to bands like Metallica and, and Armored Saint and bands like that. Because there's just those few years make it seem like there's just, just this wide disparity in terms of age. But, um, you know, John being one of the, the ones from the eighties, you know, the, the LA scene and uh, they weren't glam. And so they were just a little bit different than everybody else. And they were, you know, like I said it before, to me, you look up heavy metal in the dictionary and there should be a picture of armored saint because they're just about as pure a heavy band that can be and iron maiden is probably up there too but i mean armored saints sound is a little more heavy quote unquote than uh iron maidens you know i'm talking about like guitars and and just the sound in general but uh, i'm definitely not trying to compare music from one to the other but regardless john has such a great voice that he was invited to join metallica and he turned them down because Armored Saint, I believe, had just gotten a, uh, or were, were being recruited by record companies at the time because I don't think they were signed yet. Um, and then, you know, when the, when the opportunity came again, John said, "Like I'm not, I'm not turning this down because they just had a rough time with, like you mentioned, with the with the record company and with you know album sales and, and the company that didn't know what to do with them." You're right. 
Chrysalis had no idea what to do with with Armored Saint. Metal Blade had a better idea, but unfortunately, they didn't have the money behind them to be able to make this album, Symbol of Salvation, go over the top. And, and it should have. It should have been a really big, popular metal album in 1991, but it wasn't. Absolutely. So I, I'm pretty sure you want to start things off today with, with uh, Armored Saint, right? Yeah, let's go ahead and do Armored Saint first. I'll go ahead and take the lead on that one, and then you can take the lead on uh, Anthrax. Okay, dokey. All right, so Armored Saint um, at the time uh, consisted of John Bush on vocals, Phil Sandoval on guitars, Jeff Duncan on guitars, who replaced... Uh, the late David Pritchard, who had passed away uh, a couple years earlier, or the year before, or something like that. The year uh, before, yeah. yeah. The year before. Uh, Joey Vera on bass, Gonzo Sandoval on drums. And Dave Pritchard actually makes an appearance uh, on this record. He plays the first solo on the single, or on the song. He plays the Tainted first Past. solo on Tainted Past. Now, so Dave actually did record demos for this album. So he actually was involved with the writing process, um, but he did pass away fairly quickly. And so he wasn't available, obviously, to record the album. Um, but this this lineup has pretty much been consistent ever since, correct? Yeah, uh, there's been nobody nobody else. The no, only thing no that's changes. happened, I believe Jeff left for a while. And uh, either Jeff or Phil, one of the two guitar players, and I know Phil's Gonzo's brother, but I believe he left for a while. It was Phil. It was Phil, right? And then Mm -hmm. so it was just a four-piece for a bit. And then, um, you know, they've done all their own side projects and stuff like that. Joey Vera plays with everybody. And right now he's in Merciful Fate doing the live shows with them. But he was in Anthrax for a while himself. So Phil left um, after the first album and then returned um, basically for symbol of salvation he returned one time before that and then left again uh but i think after dave died you know it was one of those things like he committed fully to the band even though you know they broke up in 92 they returned in i guess 2000 and then you know broke up again in 2002 and then they've been back together since 2008 right so it's it they've been obviously on and off you know after when they broke up in 92 that was mostly the reason why John left and went and joined Anthrax. Um, so anyway, let's uh, let's continue on with this part. So, um, Symbol of Salvation was released on May 14th, 1991 on Metal Blade Records. It was recorded at El Dorado Studios in Hollywood, California. It was produced by Dave Jordan and co-produced by Joey Vera. Dave Jordan, many of you may know as one of the producers, has produced Alice in Chains. I believe... Uh, uh, he, I believe he was supposed to do, or he worked. No, it was Toby Wright that worked with Kiss. Uh, that was trying to bring give Kiss the uh, the old sludgy grunge sound that didn't work for them. But anyway, um, um, the the circus album. No, uh, not um, not circus. Uh, Carnival, Carnival Souls. Souls. Yeah, you forgive me for getting or confusing a circus with a carnival. Yes, forgive you because the next <laughs> album was a circus as well, Psycho Circus. Yes. <laughs> so so weird. Um, <laughs> anyhow. Um, this album, uh, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about it when we get finished with the songs, but this album to me is just amazing. Um, but we're, we'll get, uh, we'll get into that a little bit more now with the songs. 
Uh, first song in the album is Rain of Fire. I really, really enjoy this song. Uh, this has got this driving, chugging rhythm guitar that starts the song, and then it's got a cool little lick on top of that rhythm. Uh, and as always, and we're going to say this a lot tonight, John Bush has an amazing ear for melody, and he can make anything sound good. He could he could put a melody to a phone book, and it was just, it's just going to sound great. Um, the chorus has got a super killer hook on it. Uh, I mean, this is an awesome song. I like the twin guitar lead uh, that they that they do on this uh, song, and then it blends into a harmony solo at the end of the solo section. This is a great song. What, what do you think of it? Oh man, it's a great opener. Uh, that riff is just killer. Like you said, that chugging intro. Uh, the chorus is very memorable. Um, I will sing along to it in my car, but I don't always remember all the words, so you can throw pretty much anything in there and then rain of fire. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I had breakfast in a rain of fire. You know? <laughs> I had breakfast in a rain <laughs> i mean yeah you can really throw anything it's great um and then uh you know like that solo like you said it's just killer um you know the nice harmony on there the harmony guitars through different parts of the song um it's just an awesome opener it is and one thing you mentioned earlier that that um dave pritchard was part of the demos that were recorded the the demos recorded between 89 and 90 and they were pretty much, this album was done, but because of David passing away, they kind of shelved everything. And they finally were convinced by Brian Slagle to release the record. And, you know, that's when Jeff and Phil, you know, basically Phil came back full time and said, you know, let's, let's go for this. And then Jeff recorded the album for him. I mean, this is, this is a, you talk when we mentioned it in the opening, it's freaking childhood friends man that's so cool Mm. these guys have known each other for a long long time all right song number two dropping like flies all right so that's got a uh, a a little bit of a rolling hi-hat intro and then it's got this pounding guitar riff and drums uh with a cool little lick over it i love the drum riff on this on this song um it's got another great vocal melody it's got a catchy chorus even though it's talking about flies uh, but uh, it's a—I mean—it's another catchy song. It's another memorable song, and this is—it's got a lot of hooks in it. I mean, that's the one thing so far. These first two songs have got a tremendous amount of hooks. Yeah, I mean, it's—it it, kind of chugs along in the same way, but like a little slower paced. You know, like the first one's almost like a train, and the second one's like the—the the car with the two guys. You know, <laughs> going along the tracks. Uh, um but i mean it's got a really cool tone to the track i i like it a lot um you know the highlights again for me are the solos here the the guitar work is just phenomenal and i would say the second solo is even better than the first that's one thing that you know when you when you have these bands that have been around for a while and and they don't have a lot of um the word notoriety is not a good word in this particular case they're not as famous, I guess you could say, as a Slash or a, an Ace Freely, right? The mm-hmm. Phil Sandoval and Jeff Duncan are two extremely accomplished guitar players that play so fluid with each other. Um, and they just sound great. They complement each other tremendously. 
that you know it's it's like you know left hand right hand that's the way they are that that's how together and close that those two guys are when they play it, they sound amazing together so that 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 definitely helps all right song three last train home um melodic intro with a nice melodic guitar lead that goes in with it it it, it quiets down for the verse um but it has for me it, it, to me it's just, it's a it's a beautiful chorus it's extremely melodic this song should have been a single it probably should have been the first single off the album if they didn't do the first if they hadn't if they hadn't released as the first single rain of fire probably would have been the first one just to kind of grab everybody in the metal the metal balls and then bring bring in a song like last train home that has a tremendous amount of melody in it um and then of course another great solo yeah i mean it's it starts with a really good solo you know like right off the bat with the song um you know it's a bit slower kind of moody uh but it's again like the chorus is really memorable um there's some varying riffs throughout the song that really give it some variety that i just i just really enjoy this track um the solo at the three minute mark is pretty emotional sounding you know it has that long sustain at the end and it's just it's like you can feel the guitar playing you know there's some guitar players very technically proficient and and it's amazing and then there's others that play with soul and you know some some that are kind of in between right and this is a little bit of both where it's just you you feel that soul of the song oh absolutely i mean this is one of the songs you know we, we we've talked about it you know countless times before the song that that stands out that kind of has that they worked on this one doesn't stand out so much as just the the fact that it has such a cool uh riff and chorus to it that's what makes the song stand out it has you know it has that you know harmony line to it that it 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 brightens the song it's the song itself shines a little bit brighter than most of the songs on the album Mm -hmm. which is not to take away from the other songs it's just to say that this one's this song just stands out that much more because of because of that and uh i i love this song this song should have been a single of some sort um but unfortunately like we mentioned metal blade and I don't want to put take take away anything from Metal Blade. I mean, they did what they could, but they were really just putting this out almost as a favor to the band. Not a tremendous amount of promotion behind it, and that's the unfortunate part because it's such a good album. Yeah, but, you know, at this point, you know, Armor Saint was doing it almost kind of like a as a as a promise to Dave to put the to put the album out, and you could tell that they played with a lot of emotion uh, on all these songs. All right, song number four is Tribal Dance. Um, uh, it's another great song. I mean, the song starts off with, you guessed it, a tribal percussion <laughs> and drum intro. Uh, really cool bass line that goes along with that intro. Uh, it stands out a lot. Um, this this song is pretty direct. Uh, it's about cocaine and cocaine being prevalent in America uh, and you know, coming in, being imported from Colombia. I mean, they were very, very specific <laughs> about that. Um, again, another. Yeah, I mean, it mentions Colombian coffee, and <laughs> that was their export, and then it became. I was like, is this Scarface? Like when I was listening to it at first. Oh my god! I mean, this is about as direct as you can get. Yeah. Um, 
but straight, you know, it's a really cool, strong vocal melody. Again, another catchy chorus and another great solo on this. I mean, it's it's it, we're being redundant about how good the stuff is on this album. Uh, you know, this was one that I. It's taken me a little bit longer to to really get into. Um, the 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 chorus of tribal dance, tribal dance. It, it's all right. You know, but the solos are really good on the track. Like, it's hard to say. Like, there's really not a bad solo on this album. There's only really good ones. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's not my favorite, but it's still a good track. Right. I mean, I, I it's not my favorite either, but I, I like it. Uh, to me, it's one of the standout tracks on this album, in my opinion. Mm. Um, song number five, Truth Always Hurts. Now, this is where the band changes things up a little bit. Uh, this is a little bit more of a bluesy type of song. It shows some diversity from the band. Again, John delivers a strong vocal melody. Um, but overall, this song just, to me, kind of plods along. It, there's, there's, the song's chorus really doesn't do much for it. So it kind of there's, there's something that's missing about this song. But um, what do you think about it? I mean, yeah, it's a nice little bluesy track. Um, I like the guitar harmony that kind of occurs through different parts of the song. But overall, yeah, it's kind of like a, you know, middle range track. It's not one that really stands out, but it fits on the album. Yeah, it fits on the album. That's for sure. Okay, now comes uh, an instrumental half-drawn bridge, which is song number six. Um, the back, the, basically the, the, the main music of the song was written by Joey Vera and then the guys, you know, play, um, a lead solo on top of it. It's, it's just to me like an interlude to put a nice, slow, tasteful guitar solo on, um, not much else to it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really nice kind of emotional sounding guitar solo, um, you know, kind of serves as an intro to another day because it has some similar themes but not necessarily required it's not like a, a electric eye that has um uh what's the the one that leads into electric eye hellion uh, hellion it's it's not like hellion you know where it's required to listen to you know those go together period they, they don't have a break in between whereas this just has some similar themes right yeah i mean it, and it definitely you know it it definitely blends into not blends it, it, it mixture wise it doesn't go into it but um it definitely leads into another day which is song seven um this song is interesting for me it starts off as a ballad and if you if you really pay attention to the lyrics it 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 is a song that kind of tells you, hey, I need another day with my friend Dave. Uh, it, it almost seems like they're pleading for something else. They want more time. And they don't say specifically for Dave, but you know because of what's been running through this whole album because of, of Dave, they just they want one more they want one more day with Dave, one some more time. Um, but the song picks up in the middle and then just kind of blishes through a really cool solo and then you know charges on to at the end when they bring the the chorus and the speed of the song now or the, the chorus now matches the speed of the song so I, I think that's really cool it's kind of you know uh metal ballads uh similar to one from metallica or fade to black where it's just slow in, you know slow first half and then it's just the second half out there but this one actually has a chorus to it where like 
the the metallic ones don't. Yeah, one thing I really note on this song is John's softer vocals really have a different dimension to them. He's always just kind of like shouting almost at you like he is he is always pushing his vocals to the max and this is a, a very different instance where he is soft and building and it's it's really impressive like his his softer vocals are very nice um the i mean yeah like you said it's solo laden they like this this is a lot of solos on one song which i'm all for and you know it what like you said it starts off kind of slow builds up and then it takes a, like a much faster pace with lots of soloing and i i think it kicks ass yeah it's a very cool song at the end all right um next up is song number eight symbol of salvation the title track uh it's got a really cool riff to start the song it's a little bit bluesy um but i think this one has better hooks than truth always hurts um so, you know, it's got a nice hook in the chorus. So th- this definitely, you know, is, is as far as the two blues songs are concerned, it's, it's, it's the better track. Um, it's, I like the chorus, you know, the way they say symbol of salvation. But later on in the song, when there's that slow part and John is, is kind of, I don't want to use the term screaming out symbol of salvation. He's kind of singing it. He changes the the line and he adds an extra syllable in there that I don't think is necessary, and it kind of takes away from salvation itself in terms of the the, the way it's said. And I, I think it actually detracts from it. If he would have kept it the same way as he says it in the regular chorus, it would have been cooler. But that's just me nitpicking. <laughs> uh, for, for me, I kind of put it on the same level as The Truth Always Hurts. Um, you know, it's, it's a cool track. It's like, I like the chorus, like you said, like that symbol of salvation. It's cool. But for the most part, it's pretty simple. It's nothing that really stands out to me. It's a good title track. It's a good, you know, good title for the album. So it works. Yep. All right. Uh, song number nine, hanging judge. Um, very cool riff to start the song off with a nice little lead lick there at the beginning as well. This is another song that could have been a single off this out al- off this album. Uh, extremely catchy melody for the chorus, um, but I actually think the chorus could have been better. The chorus itself, like I, I don't want, and I'm talking about mostly the wording and the way it's phrased. I guess you could say because the music of the chorus is great, fantastic. Um, you know, and so, and that's what makes it's the melody line of the music behind the chorus that actually makes the song that much better and makes it catchy because it's like you can hum that little that 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 melody, but you can't hum the chorus itself. That that's kind of where the, the wording kind of takes it takes it a step down. But it's a really cool song. Could have been a single, and the solo work, especially. When Phil and Jeff harmonize together is amazing on this song. I mean, I I agree with you to some degree, but I also really like the 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 phrasing and so because it, it's so unique, it's so different than other bands. And I think that's one thing that I do like about Armored Saints is that they're not just trying to do something to to get over in a way. They're just doing their thing, and I like that about them. I think that's something that John 
kind of has always been. You know, he's 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 his own man, and be damned if you change him. You know, so I kind of like that about the album. I mean, uh, the song. Um, I think, it, like you said, it has like one of the coolest opening riffs, and that's repeated through the song. And the solo again is just fantastic. I think this is one of the standout tracks as well. Oh yeah, definitely a standout track. I mean, the 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 music behind the chorus is is that's what is that makes the whole song. I mean, I don't even want to take it down a notch by me humming it along here, but it's such a cool little riff. Um, I really like this song. That brings us to song number ten, War Zone. Um, that has got a good riff to start, and then Phil and Jeff kind of double the intro a little bit. It's not necessarily a harmony part, but it's it's a doubled track, and they're both playing the same thing, but not necessarily with a harmony-type sound. Uh, it just makes it thicker in sound, which sounds really cool. Um, overall, to me, the song, though, feels like a filler track, although the chorus, because of John's ability to make anything catchy makes this song that much better but to me still sounds like a filler song yeah i mean i agree it's pretty generic overall i think what's what really makes it stand out in any capacity is john has this way of bending his vocals that i think a lot of people are just not really capable of you know he he thinks in a different way of how to harmonize you know not in major scales sometimes minor sometimes just what sounds different to the ear than what would a normal like another musician might do and i think that's what's really impressive uh but again like like you said it's it's a pretty generic track overall yeah um i i was the the riff is good but yeah it could have it could have been a little more anyhow that brings us to burning question song number 11 and it's kind of along the same thing. You know, John is able to make things a little bit more catchy. Um, the pre-chorus or the second half of the verse, I don't know which what how you want to call it because they don't really break it down for you when you look at the lyrics. Um, that's got the most melody in terms of the vocal lines, and then it goes into a, a, a catchy chorus. But that, that, that little, I guess, phrase, paragraph, or whatever, right before it gets into the chorus is probably the most melodic part of the song. And that's what I like about it. But other than that, it's, it's you know, we're getting towards the end of the album. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Though. But the, the opening riff and the solo on this track are really good. Um, you know, it slows down, kind of shows off the bass a bit, which is, you know, Joey Vera's bass playing is really good. So, like, very nice to hear a little bit of that being highlighted. Um it's an all right chorus. Doesn't blow me away. This is this is one of the songs that, like you said, like you're you're getting towards the end of the album. Um, maybe it's a little bit of fatigue from listening to you know ten songs before, um, but it it's it's all right. <laughs> I, I I agree with you. I I was as soon as you said that fatigue and you know. You, you, after passing 10 songs when you think about it and we talked about this kind of briefly we touched upon this before when you th- when you think about the fact that when the, the advent of the CD it made people have not have to it made people want to put more songs on an album mm-hmm. and I don't think that was really necessary 
you know, not necessarily going with the same school of thought as, as Slayer, where it's just like get in and out as fast as possible. Um, but more of a long line, like for how many years at this point, you know, we're talking the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies into the eighties, you're talking 50 years or so where putting 10 songs in an album, five on the front, five in the back, which is an average, um, that that's what you're used to now, you know, and you're only listening to about anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes worth of music. Cause you start pushing 50 minutes and you start tightening up those grooves. Now you're, you're, you're asking people to listen to 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 songs in some cases. Right. And because you're, you're still as an artist, you're still writing three or four minute songs. You're not, you know, you're not Metallica who put out a 12 song album and it's an hour and a half. You know, but um, the 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 um, the 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 fact that you're listening to all these songs over it it literally becomes fatiguing, like you said, and and I can see why sometimes you know you're just putting in songs just to put songs in. Don't do that. Just leave it off. Put it as a B side or something. You know, and that's that to me that detracts from from an album's greatness sometimes. So speaking of great, song number 12, Tainted Past. Um, this is a really, really cool song. Um, you know, single guitar intro leads to a guitar intro. And then that bass, that that Joey, the bass line that Joey plays is super cool. Reminds me a lot of um, like a jazz bass player just, just ripping away. And then, you know, of course, the... John's vocals on this. This song, this particular song has a lot of room to breathe. And that's what I, I really like about this song. And John's vocals and his melodic ability just really, really shine on this on this song. Um, this is another one that could have been a single, maybe should have been a single. Um, and as as we spoke about earlier in the in the in the review. Um, David had a Dave Pritchard had a solo in this song, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, for me, like it's it's very bluesy, um, almost like a White Snake song in in places. Uh, you know, the solo is fantastic. You can tell it's a little bit of different tone because it comes from a demo, um, but that doesn't hurt it whatsoever. It, it actually makes it stand out in a way. Um, there's other solos in the song, like it starts off, you know, with the, at the beginning. It, it it's it's a seven minute track, so it's got a lot of dimensions to it. It gets faster, slower, softer, kind of raises the pace again. It's it's a really good track and I, I just like as a testament to excuse me. And as a testament to their friendship of including one of his solos where it fits perfectly on this album, I think that was really cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. And another really cool thing is if uh if anybody has not to the old school out there or even those who don't have it, they should pick it up because it has a really cool acoustic version of Tainted Past on it. Um, and for those who don't know, not to the old school is a, is a kind of a compilation of older stuff. It includes stuff from the, the 1983 EP Armored Saint, as well as some demos and some new tracks and a couple of covers. So I think that's pretty cool little collection of stuff and the acoustic version of, of, uh, Tainted Pass on it is very, very cool. All right, last but not least, the song Spineless. 
heavy riff starts this song almost metallica like in a way um and then a chorus is is simple but very effective i think it's a cool way to end the album i mean i heard thrash but i didn't necessarily hear metallica but uh you're you're looking for that more than I am. So <laughs> no, and it might it might it just it might be the fact that it's a thrashy kind of riff. Yeah, and the first thing I think of when thrash is going to be Metallica. Just just that's just me. That's just some you. Other people <laughs> might some other people might think of uh, Slayer, but it doesn't sound like a Slayer track to me. No, it's, it, it yeah, it's it's just a really cool like um, you know kind of heavy song. You know the the vocal ability again of John is on on um, showcase. I would say, um, you know, he is so skillful and he really shows off his range. You know, he can go from a low note to a high note with no problem, and that's not just on the album. You know, there's a lot of singers that do multiple takes, take after take after take to get those those jumps like that. But you can see in live performances, John just has that ability. And he has the skill because he pushes himself. He does, you know, practices. He he does vocal. Um, what what is it called? Like he he's a voice actor. You know, he does right. things with his voice all the time. So he really has control of his his vocal abilities more than a lot of other musicians. And I think there's a really good track to end the album on. Yes, it it is an, uh, the perfect for this album. Is the perfect ender. So. Um, just a brief synopsis of what you think about this album. I mean, I think it's really, really solid. You can tell that there's a lot of emotion. There's that drive to succeed. You know, they've had, you know, several albums before that really never took off. And that's a lot due to their situation with their, their record company, not promoting them. And this is, they've lost a friend. They almost didn't put this album out. They, they were convinced to, you know, Go in, record the stuff, and you can you can feel that emotion of a mixture of you know this is for their friend, but also this is their last chance to succeed. And unfortunately, you know this this is their last album for a while. You know they broke up after this because they just could not continue down this path. But I think it was that 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 last gasp effort that really made this album special. Yeah, this definitely is a special album. Um, I think, you know, it, as much as a, you know, it was a last ditch effort to try and save their careers. I kind of, I, I believe that they kind of knew that the writing was on a wall that they just weren't going to be able to do anything else after this. Um, and and it's sad because they're a very good band. Now, of of course, now we know, you know, in hindsight, they reunited again in 1999. They were together again for another three years or so, and then. They kind of went on hiatus again, uh, and then reformed in 2008, and they've been together ever since. And just they, but they are together as a as a recording and touring unit. But they don't necessarily record and tour all the time. They're not in that regular cycle, mm-hmm. like you know, like a Queensrÿche, who's you know, it's album tour, album tour, album tour type of thing. You know, not much breaks in between. John has a regular job. He is a voice actor like you said he does commercials he does cartoons he does all sorts of stuff his wife and him have a very lucrative business you know so they that's their main source of income so when when it comes time to doing armored saint they really have to plan it out and really lay out what they want to do so that they know that you know they're maximizing their their income 
and they're maximizing their time. Yeah. So, I mean, they're on tour right now. Um, I think right. in, um, I think Georgia is their next show, but then they're going to be, they're going to be coming to Houston soon, which I'm excited. Aren't, about. aren't we going to see them? We are. There we go. I can't wait. I love fucking Armed Saint. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I my synopsis because getting back to it, yes, it's a great album. It's a great album. If if you were to sit there and say I ended my career on an album, this would have been the perfect album to end the career on. Um, but and and at that time, they probably had that in the back of their mind. But they have since released several albums, and all the albums have been relatively good. Um, but none have touched as good as this. Uh, they have one or two songs here and there, and they always have one or two great songs on an album. Um, but they, they, like I said, they continue to tour. We're going to see them soon, and so that's going to be a pretty cool thing. All right. Um, Anthrax. This, <laughs> so I just got finished listening to Scott Ian's book. Um, about you know his biography about his life and anthrax and i'm the man i think his name of the book and then i also right after that listened to frankie bellows book which is more it's it's about his life in the band mostly but it's also it delves into his personal life when it comes to his relationship with his father which he did not have um and i, I tell you Anthrax is is a is a strange, strange band. I love Anthrax. Anthrax will always be one of my favorite bands. But man, they are so weird in and it's hard to say in how they approach what they want to do in terms of music. How many of their albums are thrash? How many of their albums are not thrash? You know, then they have I'm the Man, and then they have their cover of Bring the Noise. Then they have Dalib Nicky Fessin, which is the, the ballad. There's such a and it's hard to sit there and say eclectic because they they have a typicalness about them, but yet there's nothing typical. You know what I'm saying? You get what I'm saying, Chris? I think so. Um I think they're just one of those bands that they do whatever the hell they want. And yeah, it's like not whatever they feel like at the time. It's never really benefited them in the way that you would want it to. But at the same time, to some degree, I think that makes them happy, you know? So, you know, it's one or the other. You can either, you know, sit back and, and do what you think is going to be the most successful thing, or you can put out what your, your heart tells you to do. And sometimes that doesn't lead to the greatest of success, but they're still a hugely successful band. So they're just yeah. they're just not on the level of some of the others. You know what's funny about that is when you you mentioned that you know you do what you want, you do it because you love it. You know, for instance, the other day I was in Home Depot, and a country song comes on the the the, the speakers in the store. Mm-hmm. And I say a country song because it was Bon Jovi. And, you know, there, there's a very fine line between country music and... Bon Jovi. 
No, not just Bon Jovi, <laughs> just but, but like like some Bon Jovi style glam metal. Okay. Cinderella, Poison, Bon Jovi. There's a very it's it's all obviously blues based, and, that, and that's the reason why there's such such a fine line. You can you you if you record the drums hard, you have a, a, a hard rock song. If you record the drums soft, you have a country song. If you put a twang in it, you got a country song. If you play a little raspy, you got a a, 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 a glam metal song. It's it's really a very very fine line. And <clears throat> Anthrax have had the unfortunate uh, distinction of being. The, the type of band that wants to be like a Bon Jovi that can cross over into a different category, if you say, but in metal, you get ostracized to some extent. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of like uh, Machine Head. You know, Machine Head went from being this this really cool, you know, thrashy first album, you know, or, or even just maybe close to what new metal might be or what what it became. And then they decide, oh, yeah, we're just going to do a rap album. You know, you can't do that <laughs> and think you're going to have any sustainable success. But whatever. Um, that's just the way Anthrax has lived their life. And, and, and we have benefited from that because, you know, at the same time, we still like what they put out. Don't you? Nah. <laughs> no, I do. All right. <laughs> Anthrax at this time, 1993, is John Bush on vocals, Scott Ian on rhythm guitar, Danny Spitz on lead guitar, Frank Bello on bass, and Charlie Benante on drums. Um, Sound of White Noise was released on May 25th, 1993, just two years after um, Armored Saint's Symbol of Salvation. It was released on Electra Records. Drums and bass were recorded at AM Studios in Hollywood, California. Rhythm guitars recorded at El Dorado Studio in Hollywood, California, which is the same studio that um, Symbol of Salvation was recorded at. And lead guitar and vocals were recorded at Cherokee Studios in Hollywood, California. The album was produced by Dave Jordan. Hmm. Similar theme here. And Anthrax. Um, so, yeah, so Dave Jordan produced Sal- Symbol of Salvation. John Bush comes over and says, hey, I got this guy I know. He can produce our album. And he produces this next album. So that's a that's a pretty cool thing. Continuity, especially for John. It's a very good continuity. Uh, helped, helped him out, I'm sure, tremendously. Go ahead and take uh, the lead on this one. Let us know. Uh, give us the songs. All right. So the album starts off with Potter's Field. Uh, you know, it starts off with white noise, builds up to a slow, you know, heavy plotter at the one minute mark. Um, you know, has a really cool solo at the three minute mark. And it's I, I think this is a really great start to the John Bush era. Uh, definitely has taken the band in a new direction. Uh, you know, it's it's got like a heaviness to it that Anthrax really didn't have, especially on their last album preceding this. And you know it's not thrash but it still has that kind of like head banging you could easily mosh to this song yeah uh i can see that i mean this is definitely one that you can you can mosh to or you could you could plod to it's almost like a a whole song of one big giant breakdown yes <laughs> exactly but um but better than that potter's field man it, when i first heard this song you know john 
use the word love in in the song as a regular lyric, not as a, a joke like Dalla Nikki Fessin. And that was, I think, the first time that the word love was was on a on an Anthrax song. And it was just, I mean, you start listening to the song, and 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 there's just this intensity behind the song. It's really really cool. Um, I mean, the song has got a very tough subject matter. You know, it's it's been stated that this song is about abortion, so it's a tough one in in that regards. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of depth to this song that that you just don't realize it at first listen. So one of the things I really like about this song is it's got, it's the, there's a remix uh, from this song called um, it's obviously it's Potter's Field, but it's the Hypo Luxa Hermes Pan remix, um, and this remix appears on the Black Lodge single. It's um, and it's done by the the same team that uh, that Al Jorgensen uh, does the production with. He has a there's him and another guy. I can't remember the guy's name, but um, they they are this remix team that remixed this song, and it is a slightly different version of the same named Hypolux of Hermes Pan remix that appears on the Return of the Killer A's. But there's a third remix out there. I don't know where it's. I can't remember what album, not album, but what what single or B side it's on. But there's another a third remix of this song out there. Um, I all the all the remixes are pretty cool. The song is really cool. Uh, it's a great way to start the John Bush era, exactly like you said. Absolutely. All right, that takes us into track two only. This is the first single off the album. Now, this is a fantastic track. The drum opening is iconic, and the main riff is just so listenable. Uh, the song has a killer riff, and the vocal melody mirrored in the pattern with the guitars is a really cool effect. It's not exactly the same, but you can see if you listen to specifically those two parts, you hear the vocal melody and the guitars mimicking a lot of the same things that each other does, and that's a really cool effect. Um, the solo is another really good one, and this is just one of my favorite Anthrax tracks. I think it it probably stands out with most people, even non-fans of the John Bush era. James Hetfield called this the perfect song. Enough said. <laughs> now that that's really high praise from from someone you know of that stature in that industry in that segment in that genre of music. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great song. I love the song itself. Um, when I first heard it, when I first saw the single, um, well, be, after the shock that I saw, you know, Charlie Benante had cut his hair. After that. Um, after I got over that part, then I was like, hey, this is a really cool song. <laughs> um, but yeah, extremely catchy chorus. Um, it's one of the best solos, in my opinion, that Danny has ever put to tape for for Anthrax. Um, it's just really, really cool. The wah, it's got a wah-wah sound to it. It's just a lot, a lot going on for that solo. Danny really did a, a great job on it. And if you listen to any of the interviews over the years you'll you'll hear that charlie apparently was one of the guys that kind of coaxed danny into doing certain kinds of solos and they would literally hum him the solo and he would do it which is strange because i'm like danny's more of an accomplished guitar player than that so i don't know what the deal is with that (laughs) um but the cool thing is that this song is actually now back in anthrax's set with joey singing it 
when Joey rejoined the band f- during the uh, big four shows in the early 2010s, um, they, they did, um, they did this song with Joey singing it. They took it out of the set since then because Joey didn't really like playing John songs. Um, but we just saw that they've on their most recent tour opening up for black label society. They are playing the song again. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool. It's a great song. It's, it was, you know, I get why Joey wouldn't want to do John songs, but at the same time, this is such an iconic, um, anthrax song it just sucks when songs like that get put on the back burner because of a member of the band doesn't want to perform them and again i get it but it still sucks mm-hmm. all right so that takes us into track three room for one more this is the second single and this is another track that just will stick in my brain i really like it uh john's vocal attack is just always impressive but it really stands out here and the main riff it, it just is like a machine-like quality, which leads into the co- the chorus. And it just feels like every time that the chorus comes up, it's like a car accelerating, you know, like the speed going up. It feels like it's just going to another level. And I, I just really like that juxtaposition. Yeah, I, I, I like this song a lot. Uh, there's a group, the, the next... I mean, these first five songs really are great, but the group, the three, four, and five grouped together are pretty cool songs by themselves like that. Um, I like the cool, uh, the, the excuse me, I like the chugging riff. I like the bass line. I like this riff a lot, actually. Um, this song just oozes a ton of melody on it. Um, it's got a really cool, catchy chorus. Now, the the issue that happened with this song was, yes, it was released as a, as a single, but it was released way too late in the single cycle or the album cycle, if you want to put it that way, that it kind of blew the momentum of the, of the album. Cause in reality it should have been really, you know, I think there was the albums released in May only came out. I think a couple weeks before that this out, this song should have been released as a single, like say June, July. Um, but I believe it did not come out till almost the end of the summer. And I think it was, they were already on tour. Things kind of went sideways. The, the, the record company wanted something else released, and so they reluctantly released this song, the record company. Uh, and so it kind of hurt sales in a way, but it's weird because you would think even if they released a single, they would have they would got some action on it, but I don't think there was a lot of promotion behind the single. No, the record, you know, the, <laughs> it's a sad tale for John Bush with record companies, to be honest. It it really is because he had such bad luck with Armored Saint. Then he goes over to Anthrax. And this first album did really well. Um, Not as well as it really should have. But the the problem also was just that. Like the record company going against what they wanted most of the time. And the fact is it it showed they should have just listened to the band. Period. It sucks that it ended up the, the way it is. But... Um, I still think it's a really great track. All right, that takes us into track four, uh, Package Rebellion. Uh, This starts off a little bit softer, but builds up, uh, which is not to say it's a soft song. It's it's not as heavy, and it has a little bit of a more alternative sound, so you can see that kind of alternative metal aspect of the of the album kind of peeking in here. Um, This track does have one of the better solos as well. 
Yes. Um, what I like about this track is the guitar lick at the beginning. I like the bass line at the beginning. Um, it's got a very melodic riff to it. It's another chugger. It almost feels like kind of John rapping the song yes. or the lyrics. But, but not really but a not rap. really. But yeah. Exactly. It's not really a rap, but it's kind of kind of like a, a rap pace to it or, or mm-hmm. rap uh, progression, if you want to put it that way. Um, but, you know, John can sing anything, so and so he does. Um, and there's a lot of melody on this song. It's, it, it's a really cool song. Like I said, between Room for One More, Package Re- Rebellion, and the next song, uh, it's got some really, there's a lot of melody in all these songs. That's what I like about it. Well, that leads us into track five, which is High Pro Glow. Uh, this was the fourth single released, and I would say, yeah, it's it's a head headbanger. It's got that staccato delivery that is just nicely juxtaposed against the longer phrasing of of the the chorus. Um, this track really kind of solidifies something that I <laughs> I was noticing along the way. We're five tracks in, and I'm like, is every solo at the three quarter mark on this album? Like it, it really is. <laughs> like. It, it, you can go through pretty much any song, and right at the three-quarter mark, there's a solo. Um, but it it is one of the best solos on the album, to be honest. My dog has the high pro glow. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, that you know, it, it's a very strange title, uh, especially knowing that that commercial that was out there that my dog has the high pro glow was such a a, a popular commercial. But there's there's something to it, obviously, based on the fact that um, this song we really don't know what it's about. It could be about a bad relationship. It could be about junk food. It could be about a bad relationship with junk food. There's a lot to unpack in the song. The the chorus and the title of the song just kind of throws a curveball in there. But I'm pretty sure they knew what they were doing when they wrote it. It's a cool song. I like it. All right, so that leads us into track six, Invisible. Um, this is another track that really delves into that alternative metal sound. Uh, it has some similarities to Room for One More with its kind of tone, um, but it, it's that doesn't mean it's not its own song. Um, it, it mostly relies on John's vocal melody accompanying the rhythm. There's not a lot going on instrumentally, to be honest, but but it really does show off John's vocal ability. Absolutely, it does. Um, and John was one of the ones, you know, like when he came to the band, obviously Scott had been writing all the lyrics, and that was one of the reasons why they got rid of Joey because Scott couldn't understand how Joey could sing something that Scott wrote. And which I, I didn't really, like I'm listening to the book at the time, and I'm like, how do you not make that connection? Scott was going through a, a, a tremendous amount of turmoil in his life and he's writing about it and then giving it to Joey and Joey, and then he's like, no, but you're not singing it right. You're not singing it the way I feel it. Well, it's because he's a different person. He's not feeling the same thing you're feeling. I don't think any singer that you hand lyrics to is going to sing it the way you think you want to sing it. Right. <laughs> or it should, it should be sung. They're going to interpret it how they, they can. Exactly. And and the thing is, you, you could tell the guy, look, I want it to sound like this. Yes, okay, he's going to try that. But, you know, if, if you're going through that much turmoil, maybe 
you should sit down with whoever, you know, is going to sing your lyrics and, and have him understand what's going on in your life so that he can kind of have that same emotional connection. But, you know, John came in with the thing saying, I'm going to sing it my way. I'm going to write my own lyrics, you know, which helped Scott a lot. So they would, they would, uh, collaborate with the lyrics more. So, so it was, it wasn't so much more about, Scott writing about his personal life so much as it was a collaboration of, of ideas. So in this song had a, a very interesting lyrics and it had a very interesting song topic. When I looked at it today for the first time, because I've uh, invisible, I've heard it a, a, a hundred times, but I never really ever paid attention to it, to certain lines in the song. And I read it and I was like, wow, this song is a lot deeper than, uh, I gave it credit for, or even thought of it had, but this is to me uh, on the surface is a song about religion and questioning God in reality. So it's it's kind of a you know, or, or questioning your relationship with God and the, the relationship that God has with us as humans. It's a very interesting song. I it's not bad. I like it. Yeah, it's 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 hindered by. Th- it not being very interesting musically, I think. Uh, be- yeah, because, you're right. Like I said, vocally, it is very good. And John does some interesting things with, with his vocals on the track. But I think it would have been better if it had been accompanied by some more interesting guitar work. So um, that takes us to track seven, Thousand Points of Hate. Um, mostly a mid-paced plotter, this track has a killer drum and vocal track, or vocal attack, and awesome chorus. The distorted solo is one of my favorites on the album, as it's more memorable than some of the others. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it it does have a catchy chorus to me. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a speedy kind of song. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it just because it's one of those songs that, that just started getting lost towards the middle of the album um, where there was that kind of lull in the album. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's speedy. It's it got a catchy chorus, but it, it's not memorable. No, those first five tracks were, were really excellent. And then it takes you to, you know, six and seven and they're good and they fit on the album, but they're not, they're not standouts by any means. Right. But I would say that's different for the next track. Uh, Black Lodge is the third single. I think this is a really great track. Angelo uh, Badalamenti was the score composer on the show Twin Peaks, which this song is is about. Um, and he actually helped compose the track, which I think is really cool. Um, you know, it's if you've ever watched Twin Peaks, very odd show, very interesting. And a lot of the concepts, including the Red Room and, um, you know, the, the Black Lodge itself, White Lodges, um, those are all concepts from that show. And if you watch the music video, it actually brings those into the music video. It does. Um, music video is weird. Um, the song Just like is the weird. Show. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, the song is weird, but at the same time, it's it's cool in a weird way you know uh slow methodical this song is very very moody now i get why the record company wanted to release this as a single i just think it was one of those things that you forced the band to wait for mark pellington the director uh 
of Jeremy uh, from Pearl Jam fame. Um, and, you know, you basically delay any push on the album. So you finally release a single in Room for One More, you know, towards the end of the tour, you know, it, it, and it, it you're towards the end of the summer, you're going into the fall where you, now you're in the that that dark time, which is a perfect time to release the song if it had momentum, you know. But it didn't, you know. The fact that no one heard from Anthrax for most of the summer was part of the problem, and so essentially, it killed. You know, the, the, that delay killed the album. Um, the fact that the band, you know. With that delay, yeah, the record company put some money into putting this video together, but it just became an afterthought. The song itself is pretty cool, pretty moody. They've got a tremendous amount of remixes that were done um, and released as the B-sides of the singles, which is pretty cool. Some of the mixes are actually better than this, than, the, than the original song. Um, but it just, it, I don't know, it, the song is cool, but it... it it's a to me. It's a momentum killer, and yes, it's the f- really the first true ballad that Anthrax has done. Um, maybe the second, if you, uh, if I think if uh, there's one off of State of Euphoria, I think who who cares wins. That was a slow song too, but not that slow. This one was a, a different kind of song. I can see that. All right, so that takes us into track nine, which is. C11 H17 into O2 SNA, uh, which is sodium pentothal, sodium theopentol, they're the same thing. Or c- sodium theopentone, or sodium trepanol. All the same thing. Um, so, All right. So now that you've had your uh, chemistry lesson, um, <laughs> this is a bit faster paced and a bit punkish with the riffing. Um, the midpoint rhythm change gives it a little variety, um, but it's it, you know it's just for a brief second. Um, this pretty much kind of maintains the same pace throughout the song for the most part. Um, I, I don't think it's really a huge standout, but it's it fits well on the album. So my name is Bobby, and I'm a, a new thrash fan, and I heard band, this band Anthrax, and I've listened to this whole album, and I didn't hear any thrash. But now this, you know, this song about salt is is very thrashy. <laughs> about salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what um, it is. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, this is this is where. Anthrax's roots kind of come up. I mean, you could see there's there's a thrashiness to this song. Um, it's a fast song. It's an awesome riff. Uh, there's a lot of drumming with the riff that really play off each other really well. I like this. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. This is a really cool song. All right, differing opinions, but that's okay. It's not. It's not. It's not about salt, but <laughs> yeah, it's about <laughs> uh, pentothal. Um. <laughs> Uh, so that takes us to track 10, Burst. Uh, so the song starts off quietly, but it really balloons up quickly, uh, no pun intended, and the it takes off from there. There's some background yelling that kind of reminds me of like the Misfits, where they're, they're kind of chiming in. And, you know, it's another sh- uh, track that shows off some of the band's punk elements. I like it. 
Yeah. So what I wrote down here is it's it's another it's, it's another thrashy type song, but almost punk in style. So yeah, I, I, I get those punk elements out of it as well. Um, this song feels like an album closer, um, but it's not. There's one more song. It's not, and I'm glad it's, it's not. not. <laughs> okay, good. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it feels that way. You know, you're eleven. You're this is the tenth song in the album, so you you know you you've gone through this little lull which would be considered the beginning of side two. You get to a song like Black Lodge, which is a single type song. It's moody. And then you pick it up with two really fast songs. So you say, oh yeah, this is the end of the album. No, there's one more song left. And what is it? It is, this is not an exit. This is not an exit. Even though this is the exit of the album. This is not an exit. (laughs) This is not an exit. Um, So... It starts things off with some more bluesy metal, um, you know, quickly becomes one of the heaviest and sludgiest tracks on the album. Uh, the The song picks up the pace and then kind of explodes at the end, uh, then ends with a radio transmission and some white noise. So kind of tying into the beginning with that white noise um, and the album title. Go figure. Uh, it's It's a good ending to an awesome album. It is. I, I I give this song a lot more credit when you when it first starts off. It kind of just plods along. You get to that midway point, and as soon as they hit the chorus, it picks up the pace. Um, but it doesn't pick it up the whole time. It kind of slows back down again, and then it goes to the chorus and picks it up from that point forward. Um, so it's a it's a really up and down kind of song, but yet at the same time, it extremely repetitive. But for some reason, it works on this song. It works, yeah. It's not repetitive in an annoying way. And it's weird because it could be, if you continue to say this is not an exit, it can get annoying. I think if it was a different vocalist, it would be. (laughs) But John has a way of of maybe just varying things up slightly enough that it's still interesting. Yes, because they do vary the way they say this is not an exit because mm-hmm. he shouts it quickly and then he slows it down, shouts it quickly, shouts it quickly, slows it down. So, yes, there's there's that varying tempo of it that does definitely not make it the same and that absolutely repetitive. It is a, it is a cool way to end the album with using the same white noise that you had at the beginning. Indeed. So what did you think of the album? When I first heard that this, you know, that John was taking over vocals for Anthrax, and I, I knew the album was going to be released, I had tremendous expectations for this album. And knowing that Anthrax had done so many different things, I had read interviews that they were trying to to change, they were trying to adapt, they wanted to do other things. I kind of knew that they weren't going to be thrashy. I did not think I was going to hear only. I mean, that that was as poppy as, as Anthrax had gotten at that point. And I, I put it that way because it is relatively a very accessible song. It is. Um, at the same time, it, there's, a, there's a heaviness to it. It's very similar in accessibility, yet heavy, like um, Until It Sleeps from Metallica. Not the same type of song. But the same accessibility and yet oddly heavy in a strange way. Um, obviously, only only to me is a better song than, than "Until It Sleeps." Um, but 
the, I, I, the expectations were so there and in a weird way, they met the expectations, but it was not the anthrax I was used to. This is not the, the among the living anthrax whatsoever, but it's still a very, very good anthrax. And I, and I loved it. And I, I had put only in Potter's field and room to room for one more and package rebellion and hypro glow. Those first five songs were on every mixtape that I put out for those for the next few years at that point. So I like the album. I mean, I can understand that. I, I mean, for me, I was I was not that big a fan of, of Anthrax in its original form until later. Like, I've really grown to appreciate those earlier years, and even more so now, I like the last two albums they put out with Joey. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, John Bush, as we, we stated before, like, I, I this was the Anthrax that I knew. You know, this around this time was when I really got into them. And this album specifically for me was, it's still my favorite Anthrax album. So it's, it's really good. Um, it's got some amazing tracks on it. Uh, I think that, you know, there's, there's an oddity on it in that it's got some, some great work from, uh, God damn it. What is his name? Danny. Yes. From Danny Spitz. But at the same time, I think he was kind of out the door. So it's not as strong. Like, say the, the the solos from the Armored Saint album are all excellent. I don't think they're as strong here, but they're still very good. Um, but yeah, this was a great start. Unfortunately, things would unravel out uh, after. I think because of John's curse with record companies. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's a great album. It's it's funny when you say that because. Uh, it it's it, it it's all been a matter of circumstance, and it's really odd. Um, you know, and it's, Scott explains a little bit about it in the book, but essentially, you know, they made you know Anthrax when they left Island Records and went to Electra, they went to Electra with a certain amount of control. They had final say, yet. They they acquiesced to the record company for a lot of things, and so I, 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 they shot themselves in the foot in many ways. But Electra then changes management midstream, and that changed the game. It almost put Anthrax out of business. Yep, because the lady who took over basically said. Because they had the they had the album um, Stomp Four Four Two in the can, the lady said, "I'm not promoting it," and told them to their face, "I would never have signed this contract. I would never have given you this contract." And it's like, damn, that's a blow to the to the ego right there, you know. So Antex might never have left. You know, they felt that Island didn't know what to do with them, which I thought Island did a pretty good job, you know. At the, at the time, but they get to Electra and that's what they're told on their second album. It was like, whoa. It's pretty rough. And then from there, shit went sideways with every company they dealt with after it's that. Real. <laughs> Between management, record companies, lawyers, man, shit went sideways for them big time. All right. So what do you think is the better album? It's, it's a tie. <laughs> 
Now, um, you know, it's a really hard thing to say. This one's a tough one. This one's really tough. I, you know, this this album, Sound of White Noise, and We Come for You All, are two strong albums for Anthrax that that could have gone head to head with each other there, and I would have had a tough time picking those two because that that one is is extremely good as well. But we're not making that comparison. We're comparing comparing it to Symbol of Salvation. And Symbol, much like this album, has its ups and downs and it has its lulls. Um, and it, both of them had great first four songs, even five. You know, so it's it's there's a lot of similarities between these two albums. It's almost like literally a tie. Um but in this particular case, you know what? Mm, it's a tough one. I'm going to actually edge it to Armored Saint on this one. Okay. Because I think partly because of the emotional tie to it and the fact that they did it for their their fallen brother. You know, put it that way. You know, I, I think that there's a lot to it. There was a tremendous amount of emotion making that album. And I think it shows on that album. Oh, I agree 100%. Um, so this might become or be a surprise, but I'm actually going to pick Armored Saint as well. Ooh. So you agree with so me. So for the most part, I think Anthrax uh, or Sound of White Noise has a few songs that are stronger. Like only Pottersfield, Rim for One More might be a little bit stronger. But as a whole, you'll look at Armored Saint, Symbol of, of Salvation, and this is a good album from beginning to end. I think both are, but I think the lulls on on uh, Sound of White Noise are just a little more so. I think when you hit that, like, uh, Thousand Points of Hate, Invisible, um, you know, as much as I like Black Lodge, I like it as a single. I don't. It, it does slow the album down. Um, you know, everything pretty much until you get to This Is Not An Exit, I, I just think Armored Saints album is just, it's a little more stacked as as far as um, consistency, as far as staying interesting, as far as having that level of emotion there too. So I actually think it is it wins by just a hair. Just a hair. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it, it was that it's a tough one. This was a really really close one in in, in my and your Yeah, opinion, I think so. maybe the closest it's ever been. Yeah, I think so. I absolutely for sure agree with that. All right, so um, we've been talking about Armored Saint and Anthrax and John Bush all night, and so many people might think that I'm going to title this the John Bush kissing your ass uh, episode, and <laughs> it's it's true. I mean, look. If you don't think John, John Bush is a great vocalist, I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> and in these two particular albums are an extreme example of how good of a vocalist he is. So um, I think you need to get your head checked if you don't think John's a good a good singer. But beyond that, um, we are now going to do Armored Saints' Big Four songs, or the Big Four Armored Saints songs, however you want to say it. Um, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Oh, go ahead. All right, I'll go first. I haven't. I don't think I've gone first in a while on this. Okay, so my number four is going to be "March of the Saint," the first song 
that uh, was released to the general public. Uh, they did put out the, the three-song EP, um, but that was on Metal Blade, and that was just to kind of get Armored Saint's name out there. But to the first major label release, March the Saint, first song, pretty damn good song. Uh, number three, uh, the song Real Swagger that starts off nod to the old school. I really, really dig that song. Uh, a little bit of uh, you know, it's it's in your face for most of the song, and it kind of slows down in the middle and then picks up again. I really like that song. Uh, number two from Symbol of Salvation, Rain of Fire. We've talked about that earlier. It's an excellent song. Um, if you haven't heard it, you need to go out and buy it right now. Uh, put down whatever cash you can to get it because it's a great song. And number one for me is also off of the first album. It is Can You Deliver. Uh, it's just an excellent, amazing song. It is it is a staple to their in their set to this day. Absolutely great song. Love it. All right. Well, we have one song crossover, and mine are maybe a little bit more diverse in the time period. Um, so mine is number four is off of Punching the Sky, which is one of the newest albums. Um, end of attention span, and what really like hooked me about this song is this is something that I talk about all the time, how people have no ability to just process things anymore and just sit and enjoy something. It's, it's really hard to sit and just put a record on and just listen to a record. I think most people have something going on with their phone or, you know, and so like, this is, this is something that it's, it's a age old message is you know stop and and smell the roses and that the end of attention span i think is is a, a perfect descriptor of this generation it just there's none um then i've got winds wind hands down off of wind hands down i i just really like this song from the first time i heard it um it's a really cool track uh I like the instrumentation. I like the, the, the recording and just the song as a whole. John's vocals on it are, are awesome as well. Uh, my number two is Last Train Home. This is a song that's kind of an earworm for me. It's, I, it's really stuck in my head for a long time and it's not a, it's not a problem. It doesn't bother me because it's such a good track. And then my number one is Rain of Fire, which is our only crossover. Um, like I said, I, I love just singing this one in the car. It's such a fun song. And, and that opening riff just kicks so much ass. So that's my big four. You know, I, I like your big four. And it's funny because I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you know, should I should I expand it, make it more diverse? But, you know, this is our opinion. This is what we think are the best songs. Exactly. But, I, you know, I like End of the Attention Span. I think it's a great song. I like Wind Hands Down. I like that song a lot. Um, there's a song on La Raza, which I forgot the name of the song. Uh, that's a really, really cool song. Um, but, you know, besides that song, there's also other songs like um, No Me Digas, which is a really cool song that they do that, that was in consideration, you know, for... for one of the songs in La Raza, the song left hook from right field. I mean, that's a killer, literally killer hook. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, that's a great song. The, 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 the thing that I mentioned earlier is when you, they have all these albums, they're very good albums, you know, 
but they're not Symbol of Salvation. And each one of these albums has like one or two really awesome songs. And it kind of just from there, it just kind of goes generic Armored Saint. And like Left Hook from Right Field is one of those songs. Wind Hands Down. Uh, another song from that album I like a lot is uh, An Exercise in Debauchery. I mean, I think that's a really cool song. You know, and then the, the last one, you you know, you mentioned um, End of the Attention Span, but Standing on the Shoulder of Giants. That's a really good track, Standing too. on the Shoulders of Giants. That's a really cool song, too. Yeah, so is Lone you Wolf. Know? I like that one as well. I mean, that, yeah, that so album is actually really good. It is, you know, and it's, they, they put out these albums. You kind of, there's they're, they're just put out. There's not a lot of promotion. Metal Blade just puts them out there. Um and you know, if you're a fan of Anthrax, uh, if you're a fan of Armored Saint, you get it, you understand it, you listen to it, and you're like, "This is good." But it's it's not gaining new fans, and that's the tough part, you know. And I don't think that Armored Saint's in the game now to gain new fans, but it's unfortunate that they they're not because they should. I mean, a lot of people should be listening to them. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, that's our big four Armored Saint songs, and that is the end of today's show. Remember to like, subscribe, and download the show on your favorite podcast platform so you can take us anywhere you want and listen to us at any time. And don't forget you can interact with us by commenting on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or you can send us a DM as well. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or you can send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. So remember to tune into the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya.